Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Morrow. Hello, David. So happy to be here with you, Kevin. David, that's so great because, you know, it's just going to be me and you for a little while. Here we're going to talk about the Cowboys until Evan joins us with some Rangers and some talk about the, the NCAA tournament and the Mavericks, and we'll have him on then. But until then, it'll be a very pleasant interlude. Uh, yeah. It'll be Evansless. We well. can at least enjoy this part, Kevin. Yes, that's exactly right. Exactly right. So, David, since the last time we spoke, and uh, there have been a few moves made by the Cowboys. Some people have left. Some people have come. Uh, they did not sign Von Miller, as I told them to do. It's a makeup for the loss of Randy Gregory. Uh, and and all Von Miller did was turn that into a six-year, $120 million deal with the Buffalo Bills. And I think Von is already 42, so he'll be playing until he's 50 or something. I, that was just, and I believe it was 53 million guaranteed over. So it's a three year contract basically for 53 million plus. Yeah. Unbelievable. Holy cow. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, and why else would Von Miller go to Buffalo other than that? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I guess he decided I'll, I'll just cash in on one last big payday. And I mean, I know Buffalo is very good. I'm not, I'm not demeaning Buffalo's that. Buffalo's very good. And I, I don't blame him for that kind of, I mean, if you can get that contract at that age, you've, you've beaten the curve. So yeah, absolutely. It's just, best of luck got- to him. but, but the Cowboy, the Cowboys did have an interest and he had an interest in playing here, but they had an interest at Randy Gregory money, not at, not at what, uh, not at Von Miller money, what he got. No, gosh, gosh, no. You know, I, and I guess that's just further evidence that, if a player is good enough, and I still think Von Miller's a good player. I mean, we can talk about the fact that uh, his skills have diminished some, and he's yeah. 32. He had nine and a half sacks last year. Uh, yeah. So pretty good. Pretty good in the Super Bowl when he had two sacks. Uh, so uh, he's still a difference maker, uh, and I think would have been very good in this defense. Uh, but, you know, when a guy can still play, a guy's won a Super Bowl, uh, won two Super Bowls, uh, and been a, a, a factor in both of those Super Bowls, uh, certainly the first one very much so, uh, the second mm-hmm. one he was as well, um, then that's worth something. And, and that was kind of my position that this Cowboys team, even though the defense is playing better and you know the offense was kind of up and down all season, who on this team has won anything? You know, And, and it would be nice to have some players in that locker room who have actually won something and who can say, Hey, you just think that you're doing what you need to do here to win it all. This is what you have to do. This is what who you have to be. This is how you have to commit to something. I always think that's worth a, a lot on a, on a team. So they they have they still don't have that. Uh, and even with the comings and goings, they have not added that kind of player uh, to the team. So David, do you expect uh, any other big signings, or are the Cowboys pretty much done there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that the two signings the Cowboys have with James Washington and uh, Dante Fowler, you would classify as big signings. No. I believe they'll sign a few more players uh, this week uh, before this week is done. Um, but you know, and they have the cap room to do so. Uh, I, I would still argue that they need to, in the front seven, need to get another impact pass rusher 
to to replace Gregory. Uh, Dante Fowler's not going to be be it. Um, I don't know that anyone they'll get in this draft would be able to to fill that role initially. Uh, I think they they still have a, a nice rotation at, at the defensive end opposite of Demarcus Lawrence, but no one that any team is going to say, "Hey, uh, we, we've got to stop them." And now you take that out of it, it might make it a little bit easier to uh, to target Micah Parsons wherever he lines up, right? So uh, I, I think they could use another guy in there that teams uh, offenses would have to prepare for going into a game. So, um, you know, but, but in my mind, there are really only two out there right now. I mean, it's uh, Bobby Wagner, uh, if you want to decide how to, to use him and, and use him at that linebacker spot, and uh, Zadarius Smith, who actually, uh, the Green Bay pass rusher, edge rusher, who signed with Baltimore, saw what some other defensive ends were making, backed out of his contract in Baltimore, and now still hadn't signed anywhere. So uh, this week, you're not going to see the Von Miller deals, right? This is the week where there are still a few quality impact players in free agency who will have to wrap their heads around the fact that they're not going to get as much as they thought they were going to get in free agency. And so that kind of taps the brakes a little bit on this phase because it's when those players come to acknowledge, okay, well, I am going to take less, but but how am I going to take less and save face? And that gets into the incentive package and it gets into, and then some of them will actually wrestle with, well, do I just go one, one year deal and then get back out there again and really hit it big next year? Um, but you know, I will say Bobby Wagner's not in that position, right? He's a 33 year old linebacker. Yeah. Um, he, he, he would want a, a two or a three year deal. So we'll see how it plays out here. But, but I do find it interesting that, that Smith and uh, Bobby Wagner, who were, who were, I, I would say, arguably the two best impact players in the defensive front seven left in free agency uh, haven't signed anywhere yet. Are the Cowboys showing any interest in Smith? Uh, yeah, they have. Now, uh, then you get into defined interest, right? They, they have discussed him. There's interest there. Uh, it's going to be what the market is. And you would assume he got a, uh, you know, he wound up pulling out of a deal that was, uh, I think, $65 million. Uh, for five years because he it looked he felt he could get some more if he put himself back out there in free agency. So I, I thought his original contract that he backed away from from Baltimore, Dallas would have been in, comfortable in that area discussing that contract. But if he backed out of that contract because he wants more, I don't know that Dallas is going to be that interested in trying to get something done. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, he, he he was very good his first couple of years, and then uh, had a injury and and a- back issue last year. Uh, you know, didn't play much, but we'll say he came back at the end and had a sack in the postseason. So he yeah. he was he did get back on the field, uh, but yeah, he had what I want to say. 26 and a half sacks over a two-year span something like that that was 25 yeah, yeah i think that's yeah, 25 there. yeah but he averaged 25. double figures yeah so that was pretty impressive anytime you can do that that's very impressive uh, back to, especially in back-to-back season um well they're going to need a little help there uh, you know when we get into the draft here and the cowboys pick 24th is that correct Yes. Uh, As but, of now, we've seen them move around, but yeah, they have that's true. They have nine picks at the moment, 24th uh, in the first round, and four picks in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine they will package some of those, try to move up. But again, packaging fifths isn't going to get you up in the first round. No. You know, we're just talking in the fourth. So Yeah, for sure. 
you know that that's interesting in that in that uh in, when you're picking in the 20s uh you know in my uh, you know thinking and i think this goes back to something that that uh, rick goslin used to always preach is that if you can get the best player or among the best players at a position you're you're better off doing that than taking a guy who might be the 10th best player at a position, you know, let's say if there was a run on something in a round, not, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the 10th best player of any position in the first round. You're going to get the top five of, of those. But if you, but if you can get the best offensive lineman or the best, or the, let's say the best guard, because as, as you noted in the, when we were talking before the show, uh, you know, a, a left tackle, that's going to be a top 10 pick. If it's the best left tackle in the draft. Uh, but you could get the best guard. You could get the best center, uh, or you might get the best guard or best center at uh, at twenty four. Certainly, you would get somebody in the top of that. And as as we see here, this this reminds me back when Jason Garrett started, you know, uh, throwing uh, offensive linemen overboard uh, shortly after he got here. And some of those guys, I thought he he dumped a little prematurely in trying to remake his offensive line. But the Cowboys clearly are are doing that now, aren't they? Oh, they are. And, and this is, uh, you know, I, I would argue this makeover got underway when Travis Frederick, um, you know, retired unexpectedly that, that you were starting to see the transition. And again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, they're starting left tackles, you know, Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins in the last two seasons combined missed 44 starts and these are your starting right tackles so I you know I I maintain that people are still looking at this offensive line before those guys missed 44 games in the last two years so I think this line's been in transition really for for two to three seasons and it just by releasing Lyle Collins and letting Connor Williams who started over the last two years just walk in free agency it really underscored that that this is a major renovation going on in the line, and uh, it is. I, I would still anticipate that Dallas will um, sign uh, a, a veteran uh, in, in free agency, uh, at least one, to give them some depth in the offensive line, which I think is very thin right now. But if if you want to talk right now about who is the, who are the Cowboys going to take in the first round? which I understand is premature, but given where they pick, which is 24, given how the board usually falls, and, and going back on what you were talking about with, you know, with, with Goose talking about, well, you want to get a guy at the top two to three at the position uh, rather than have a position picked over and go, oh, well, I'll go ahead and take the fifth, sixth, or seventh guy here. You put all that together, there should be an interior offensive lineman available at 24, uh, at, at either a, a center or one of the guard spots, or or a or a, a guy who played tackle in college that can go inside, much like they did with Lyle Collins when he first came in, um, and you know somebody like Tyler Smith from Tulsa, you know I think is a, is a possibility there. Uh, you know Zion Johnson's another guy uh, to keep in mind, but I think they're going to be that. That's right about the point on the board where there are some really the top of the shelf interior offensive linemen there's still a chance that they're going to be there when when Dallas picks and and at this stage it's hard to say that they shouldn't go in that direction would a guy in that position let's say he has a good camp have a have a shot at starting from day one? Oh yeah yeah I, I think if uh because again um 
they don't have a lot of depth there either. And and I think, uh, you know, what they do with Connor McGovern this year is going to be interesting. Are they going to give him a run at center to, to challenge Tyler Biotich? Um, you know, they gave him a run to, to challenge Connor Williams last year. He didn't quite get it done. Uh, then Connor Williams had the penalty problems, and and Connor McGovern's best role was in that fullback position, right? When that jumbo package they ran, yeah. uh, he really struggled. I thought for Connor Williams when he went in there for him, to the point where they reinserted Connor Williams back at left guard. So um, this is a significant off season for Connor McGovern uh, because when they drafted him, they felt he could start at either center or one of the guard positions. Um, if you know, he needs to show he can do that this offseason. But but I would say because of that, because of losing Connor uh, Williams, uh, because of Tyler Bogatich, I thought got a little better as the season went on last year, but but still certainly doesn't anchor uh, that line anywhere close to the way uh, Travis Frederick did. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, Travis Frederick, they picked up at the end of the first round. Uh, they're in the final court, you know, final third of the first round. Uh, in every round, really, after that. Um, so I, I think, t- to me, right now, I would say they're going to pick an interior offensive lineman with their first pick. It's the most likely pick that they will go with at this moment. Yeah, with as much as many holes as they seem to have uh, on that side, uh, I, I certainly seem like that, that should be something they would consider. You know, it's it's um, it's the one position where Will McClay in the last few years has not uh, shown as brightly uh, as he has in, in other places. You know, he's done such a great job overall for the Cowboys draft. You know, for those of us who lived through the 90s and watched all that mess in the late 90s and the early 2000s where the, you'd have entire drafts where, where guys wouldn't stick, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And now now he's you can look at drafts here where he's had players that have you know, are sticking in their fifth, sixth, seventh-round draft picks, which is r- really – you know, to me, that's where it shows what you're really doing in a draft. When you're, you know, I think anybody these days ought to be able to identify a first round pick. You know, um, yeah. you there are so many services out there. There's so many things you can you can read that you can have fans pick your first round pick for you most of the time. Uh, but if you're hitting on guys in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round, then you're really doing something. So, uh, but they have struggled with some of these picks, like uh, you know, Connor Williams didn't ever really pan out like they thought he would. Tyler Biotich, they got shoved into the role prematurely, probably, probably not strong yeah, enough at sure. this point uh, in his career to, to man that to position at center. And then, as you said, Connor McGovern, also a little bit. So that's three guys right there. And then, you know, you, Lyle Collins was a free agent. We all know that story about it. He but he would have gone in the first round. He was a first round talent. Yeah. yeah but he and, didn't and to really. Me, real quickly, interesting. That's where, you know, f- for years, Dallas. Jerry didn't want to spend big money or use high draft picks on offensive linemen. Uh, but, but then when they got the new collective bargaining agreement and it made it more affordable to take offensive linemen up there, and then they got Jason Garrett, uh, Jason Garrett said, look, well, you're, you're overpaying to get the Leonard Davises of the world on their second or third contract. Uh, but now – with the draft pick and you can keep them an extra year, it makes sense to go ahead and use high draft picks on, uh, you know, offensive linemen. Jason Garrett convinced him of that. And that's what they did. First draft pick under Jason Garrett was who Tyron Smith. Then you go Zach Martin. You took him over, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel. Uh, You went Travis Frederick moved around, got him at the end of the first round. So they invested back in the offensive line, which they hadn't done for a long time. 
But because they had all those guys, what have they done in recent years? They pick guys up in the third, fourth, fifth round, say, okay, let's develop them. Maybe we can do something. And they really haven't developed. And so now they're kind of back at square one, in my mind, of putting this offensive line together very quickly. I will also say, though, that when you look at Mike McCarthy's history in Green Bay, they didn't invest a lot of draft capital in offensive linemen either. He made do. And what did this team just do? They chose Terrence Steele over Lyle Collins going forward. So I, I think that a Mike McCarthy's scheme and approach is better equipped to handle uh, lesser investment in the offensive line and still have a cohesive group. Yeah, we'll see if Dak Prescott uh, uh, rubber stamps that. that. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Not to say it will work. I'm just saying. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, speaking of which, uh, he, Dak did give us an update on his shoulder situation. If you would tell our listeners about that. Yeah, non-throwing shoulders are just a clean-up procedure. He actually moved the shoulder around to show it was fine. He's back now uh, just throwing uh, twice a week. Uh, which is what he normally does at this time of year. He says it, it won't hinder him in any way. He's cleared for everything and uh, organized team activities going forward. And as he said, he wouldn't have even mentioned the surgery except uh, Mike McCarthy kind of let reporters know during the combine that, oh, yeah, by the way, the uh, starting quarterback had surgery. <laughs> yeah, that's nice to know. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment. Evan Grant's going to be joining us now to talk about the Rangers, and, uh, and we'll also follow that up with some talk about the NCAA tournament and some news from SMU. Hello, Evan. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? We're great. How's it going there? Um, hectic. It's been a hectic uh, 10 days of spring training. Roster moves every day, additions. Um but this is what baseball signed up for with uh, with the shortened spring training. I, I I don't know how the Rangers are going to get appropriate looks at players this spring, but everybody's got to do it. So we're all kind of buckled in here. I think this is the way spring training should always be. Lots of stuff jammed in really fast, lots of information. Because, you know, frankly, spring training is pretty boring most of the time. Well, I, that's a conversation for another day. I think you could definitely – trim spring training down to four weeks from six. Uh, but the, you know, the optimum situation, it's always about pitching, right? And it's about getting these pitchers ready and stretched out. And that's why everybody's got to have six weeks of spring training. Uh, if, if people manage to stay healthy this year, I think you're going to see a bigger push for shortened spring training camps. Let me and just say impact this. Team like the Rangers a little more because just from the standpoint, I'm sorry, Kevin, but just from the no, standpoint no. of they have so many more roles to fill and they have some uncertain, you know, I mean, there are some teams above them that they have a pretty idea, good idea how they're going to proceed. And it's just getting everybody ready and up to speed that the Rangers seem to be in a little bit different category. Well, I, you know, the Rangers have to figure out a number five starter, but I, I would bet that more than half the league probably has to figure out a number five starter in camp. And you're not going to, you're not going to get an appropriate answer. Not with guys not having been on club uh, administered throwing programs all winter and, you know, with, with shortened pitch counts and all that. So, so the tryout portion is really going to extend into April. Um, I think the bullpen there, there's certainly more roles that have to be filled in out there, but yeah, this is the, this is the weaker area of this roster at this point in time. Um, but everybody's kind of in the same situation in some regard. The last couple decisions are always going to be arms. And I think 
everybody is probably going to end up taking this approach. We're going to keep as many players as we possibly can. So if that means a guy's out of options, he's probably going to get a look at the big league roster. Uh, if a guy is here on a minor league contract and he's got a track record, he's liable to get a real good shot at making the roster. And, and, and the third thing would be, are they on the 40-man roster? And if they are, then you don't have to do a whole bunch of moving and, and, and those guys have a little bit of an edge. I'm going to make a prediction here. If the Rangers can average 25 runs a game like they did Sunday and beating the, the Cleveland Monday. Guardians. That's Monday. Monday. Was that Monday? That oh, was Monday. My, my days are all Monday. It started on Sunday. It started um, but, <laughs> but the right. third wicket moved into Monday afternoon, yeah. Yeah, the four-and-a-half-hour game. Uh, if, they, if they average 25 runs a game, I'm going to say they got a really great chance of finishing 500. I will say this. I, I think that, you know, you don't want to make too much out of the third game of spring training, but Chris Woodward was really jazzed. And I mean, anything right now with, with a new hitting coach, um, a, a, a guy in a newly created role of offensive coordinator and one of the league's worst offenses last year, anything that you can use as kind of like to point to as progress or as a positive sign is, is certainly worthwhile. You're trying to build some confidence as well as some technique. And they certainly did that yesterday. You know, Willie Calhoun or Tuesday, uh, Monday, whatever the day was, it's all running together at this point. Um, <laughs> camp. Willie Calhoun had four hits in four innings. Uh, they were even impressed with the way he was beat on a pitch by a left-hander with it, that came in on him and he was able to get enough bat on it and kind of bloop it out into left field for a double. You saw four young kids, Davis Wenzel, uh, Josh Smith, Bubba Thompson, and I knew I would forget the fourth home run. Uh, yesterday, all hit home runs. Um, we saw Brad, a goalie scores. Brad Miller hit a home run. Well, Brad Miller was the one veteran, but I'm, I'm skipping one of the young players who hit a home run right now, and I'm starring. Uh, and then the, the other thing was Adolis Garcia w- took a walk that was, you know, actually kind of like a – looked like an organized plate appearance. So – those are all things that you kind of look for. The first the first game of spring, we saw Corey Seager's really natural talent kind of play out when he yanked a fastball from a left-hander over the right field fence. We saw Nate Lowe drive two balls the opposite way on fastballs, things he struggled with. So you can't make too much of the first couple of weeks of spring training or of any of spring training. But certainly it beats the alternative where where they're not having anything that they can point to as potential successes. I want to speaking of that hitting, I, I do want to ask you about this because they have new hitting coaches uh, out there this year. And uh, and, you know, uh, the guys that that uh, that came with uh, Chris Woodward initially uh, were seemed to be well received, seemed to be you know good guys. I always talked a good game anyway. Uh but we're seeing, you know, we, we heard a lot about what they were doing with Eli White and uh, and the adjustments they had him make. Are, are you hearing a lot from hitters? I mean, and like you said, this is awfully early and who knows what's going to happen. But, but are you hearing a lot from hitters as to what they think about the new hitting coaches? Yeah, it's been they, – they've been really well received. Um, I'm going to write something actually about Nate Lowe for tomorrow. Um, and he got to spend 15 minutes in – November with uh, Tim Hires, the new hitting coach, uh, when they were both at the Mar- the Marucci uh, Sports Performance Lab in Baton Rouge, uh, and he said he got something out of those fifteen minutes. 
Uh, and really, that was the only contact he had with the guy for three for three months. But it was something he was able to take back into those offseason workouts and felt like it was something that he was able to apply. I, I think the the nature of the business is when you change out coaches, clearly, some whether it was the players or the coaches, a message wasn't getting across. I think everybody's got good techniques and and good data. I think it's it's all about messaging. And right now, these guys are are more willing to accept the messaging that this group is is providing them. It's still to, to be determined whether or not that's going to apply long term, and what happens when guys stop just throwing fastballs, and when they've got to make adjustments. But yeah, I think these guys have been very well received, and I think guys are more than willing right now, after last year and and not putting up any kind of offense whatsoever, they're more than willing to give these guys a chance. All right, let's let's go around real quick now uh, around the infield uh, and the outfield, and just and look at where you think uh, it's going to it's shaping up. Uh, and obviously, at shortstop and second base, and at first base, those are all pretty set. Uh, it looks like that center field, I'm assuming, is set with Adolis Garcia. Um, but at third base is Andy Abanez. Uh, I like how how coaches getting him some runway. I would have thought it was leeway, but it's, it, he's saying runway, so I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. As a, a as a noted connoisseur of runways around the globe, I was wondering if it was like the St. Bart's runway where, you know, you kind of have to cut the engines and then it's a very short runway or if it's a very long <laughs> runway. I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is, but he is he, he does want to give him some runway to kind of like take off with this job. And uh, but at the same point in time, they've also signed Charlie Culverson and Matt Carpenter to minor league deals, two veterans who could very easily play a platoon situation at third base and, and maybe be an effective one. So uh, yeah, they're going to give Andy a chance, but I think that they're also uh, trying to hedge their bets a little bit. Um, he made a nice play yesterday. He's always going to hit the ball. The question is, is going to be, will he, will he play defense well enough to represent the position? You know, I like the fact that they're doing this. He hit last spring. He hit when they gave him a chance. He fielded pretty well everywhere they put him last year. You know, they waited too long to bring him up. It's just one of those stories to me that bugs me. You know, all the guy did was hit in the minor leagues. But it's like, ah, well, he really doesn't have a position, so let's just blow this off. And 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 we hear all the time, if you can hit, we'll find a place for you to play. Uh, and and I and it was uh, and I, I'm just glad to see that that Abanjas is getting this this shot now. I agree, and I mean I you know my kind of my mode of operation right now is as much as I think defense is important. You know when you're making decisions about players long term, like for example, if if the decision long term is going to be which one of the the Josh Smith, uh, Ezekiel Duran, uh, Davis Wenzel group, which of those guys is going to stick? My first question is going to be, well, which one is the best hitter? Um, yeah. and, and so th- there's still going to be more value on, on hitting. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that the Andy Ibanez is a situation of one of those cases where, and it, it, it happens and people don't know that they're falling into that, but as evaluators, sometimes you, you focus on things that a guy can't do instead of the things a guy can do. And he can hit. Um, he hasn't been able to play great defense in the minor leagues, but listen, when the lights came on last year in the big leagues, he played pretty well defensively. He was a plus defensive player. And, and so I think that the Rangers were in a situation where they had the opportunity to actually give a guy a look. Uh, and maybe they've, they've found somebody who can be, if nothing else, a big league hitter. And let's, 
let's not forget that every team in the big leagues now has a DH. Uh, there are worse situations that the Rangers could have than if they in, in, ended up with a really good right-handed hitting DH and Andy Abanez long-term uh, and potentially a left-handed hitting DH and Willie Calhoun, who also can play a, you know, a, a position around the field. So, I, I think it's it's important that they give Andy this look, but I also think that, listen, you want to make sure that you also back up all your – you have contingencies too, right? You always want to have that. All right, so let's look at the outfield and the, and the corner positions out there. Um, it almost looks like they're gonna, it could have two platoons out there uh, in left and right. Uh, so what do you think ends up happening? Well, I think left field will definitely be a platoon. I think it will be Nick Solak and Brad Miller and – Nick facing primarily left-handed pitching and, and Brad Miller facing right-handed pitching. And, and Brad's had really good numbers against right-handed pitching the last couple of years. Uh, and Nick, when he came up in, in 2019, just absolutely crushed left-handed pitching. So if you can take two parts and make a whole, that's great. And the, the thing the thing that works with this is that Brad Miller also has some versatility and can go play another position. If they don't keep Carpenter or Culberson, Brad could also be fill in at third base occasionally. He can fill in at first base, played a lot of first base for the Philadelphia Phillies last year. So the platoons work if those guys also have some versatility where if you need to plug them in somewhere else, you can because they're they're taking up valuable bench spots and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to be capable of giving you help at more than one position. And right, Phil? Right field, I think, is going to be primarily Cole Calhoun to start the year. I think the question is going to be, when is Eli White ready? I don't think that Eli White's going to be ready on opening day. I, I think the Rangers are going to at least play that a little bit careful, given that he's coming off a shoulder surgery. But I think they really want to do take a look at him. And the batting practice, I don't want to put too much into batting practice, man. I really hate doing it, but... The ball has sounded loud coming off of his bat, and uh, it's been impressive to watch. And he's the same thing. He got a chance to to talk to the coaches just before he started swinging and just before the lockout went into effect, and he felt like they explained a, a more direct path to the, to the ball for him that he felt like really made some difference. So uh, that's something also that will play out. But I, I think to start the year, you're going to end up with Calhoun playing there primarily – uh, how long it'll be before Eli's ready? I think the Rangers would take a good two weeks before they 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 try and get Eli ready for the to play the field. So they'd leave Adolis in center field. Yeah, I, I think so. That would be the the idea. Okay. All right. And, 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 uh, at least to start this year. I mean, eventually, you know, who knows what happens with Leody Tavares? He profiles as a legitimate center fielder if he can ever hit enough. And if you could put Leody in center field and then potentially have that platoon situation with Adolis and, and, uh, and Cole Calhoun in, in left in right field, that might be something that works too. But the other, the other part of all of this, Kevin, is I think we've just talked about one, two, three, four positions with platoon possibilities. You can't have that many platoons. You just run out of no. bench spots. So yeah. they're going to have to pick and choose what's, what's the best for them. Before we get out of our Rangers segment, I want to get what real quick because I, oh, I like to toy with these lineups in my head, uh, and I and I see where Chris Woodward has even uh, had the possibility of uh, uh, of some of his better hitters. Uh, is he toying with Simeon leading off? Yeah, he's uh, he said that they'll hit that Simeon Seager and Mitch Garver will hit in succession, and whether that's one two three or two three four. 
that's still kind of uh, to be determined. Don't we think two, three, four is better? Uh, listen, you can make the case that one, two, three means each of those guys is going to get more at bats than they would have. Right. So uh, it also means that at least one of them is going to get in at bat every game with nobody on base. But yeah. you want your best hitters at the top of the lineup. There's value in that. If they've got a guy that they feel like can get on base in the leadoff spot, uh, I think they'll pursue it. If not, I think they would consider Simeon Seeger and, and, and Garver in succession. Yeah, what my, my one issue with all of that when, when I was thinking about it was, well, who who's going to hit lead off? You know, I mean, there's, it's not like there's a lot of great candidates uh, yeah. uh, among whoever's left over. I do like the fact that it pushes Adolis down the lineup. I'm, I'm thinking probably, don't you think he's going to end up hitting around sixth? Well, I would think the way I look at it is if you have those three guys at the top of the lineup, I think you potentially slot low into the fourth spot. Um, you have, depending, maybe depending on matchups, like who you're facing that day, maybe you move, like if you're facing a, a, a right-hander, maybe you move Calhoun into the fifth spot and Adolis into the sixth spot. But I think there's, there's there may be some situations where Adolis also hits fifth. Uh, if he's hitting with guys on base – He's still going to be a dangerous. He's he's going to be dangerous, and if that's if that's in the number five spot with those other three guys ahead of him, uh, it may work for this club. Yeah, that could be good. All right, good. That's going to do it for our Rangers segment. Uh, we're going to move on now to uh, the NCAA tournament and some news from SMU. Tim Yankovic, uh, the uh, head coach of the SMU Mustang basketball team, men's team, has announced today, Tuesday morning, as we're taping this, that he is retiring uh, from basketball. There was some question about what his future might be and and uh, whether that uh, his future at SMU depended on them making the NCAA tournament. They obviously did not. And then they had a kind of unceremonious dumping uh, in the NIT in the second round at home, losing to Washington State, which was not good. Um, it be interesting to see what uh, SMU does at this point. I don't know uh, uh, who they've got in mind. No clue at this point. Uh, and, you know, it's not good – when you have a pretty good year and you don't get any respect uh, to make the tournament, although they didn't really, you know, back that up in the NIT either. Um, but I, I, it'll be interesting to see what kind of, uh, uh, you know, how attractive that job is to somebody from the outside. So uh, we'll see how that develops. Um, how, how's you know, everybody in, in the last in the last calendar year? Or what I think now they've. People have had to hire a football coach, a women's basketball coach, and now a uh, men's basketball coach. It's a yeah, lot, of, a lot of turnover in a one-year span. That yeah. is a lot of turnover. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I saw a tweet uh, the other day from from Sonny Dykes about you know uh, TCU, and it's just I'm still getting adjusted to that. Yeah. I have a hard time. It seems you know, he was, was just weird seeing him tweeting about uh, the, the Horn Frogs. Uh, uh, that's just kind of bizarre. Uh, but, yeah, so we've got some uh, development there. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, how's everybody's bracket doing? Mine's fine because it's pristine. I never touched it. Uh, I never never filled one out I, uh, because I knew that I was going to have to pick with my heart and pick the 16-seeded Georgia State Panthers over those Gonzaga Bulldogs. So that was not <laughs> the way to go. Not um, a good idea. So it was a good game for 30 minutes. Uh, I I'm just going to say this, and I, I know this will jinx it at this point in time, but I really do feel strongly like Texas Tech is going to go to the Final Four. I just think that they might be the best defensive team in the in the tournament at this point, and defense and guard play is going to win. 
Yeah, they wasted David? their good offensive game, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> they did. There, you want to save that for a little later in the tournament, but yeah, they might they, they might need one of them in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, David, how about your bracket? How's it going? Um, I was so bad that I haven't really done a bracket in about ten to fifteen years <laughs> because I knew I was just going to embarrass myself, and and I know just enough to really screw it up, you know. Sometimes yeah, like I will just a little bit of peripheral knowledge, you go, oh, well, no, I've seen them a couple of times. Oh, they've got to be, they have what it takes. Yeah. They're built, they're uh, built to last. These are all over the place. You know, we, they, they ask us to, to make several picks, you know, uh, going into the tournament, a few of us. And, and so, you know, who's the team most likely to, you know, to be bounced? Who's the most likely Cinderella, all that kind of thing. Well, I had my most likely Cinderella is Virginia tech, which lost to Texas in the first round. <laughs> I had my first team to be b- high team to be bounced. I said Duke, which is, you know, still going strong. Still playing. Uh, yeah. So uh, and Duke I, and did not look all- good going into the tournament. That, that's no, the other thing, not. you know, I mean, not. that's the, the, the way these teams play in their conference tournaments or at the end of the regular season, where basically seeding for the tournaments already been determined. You see letdowns and you go, well, they got to be playing a little better going into the tournament, don't they? And it's it's really a lot of times no indicator of what that team's going to be once the tournament gets underway. No, it, it, you're absolutely right. Uh, just a completely different animal. Uh, I, of the of the Texas teams, uh, I was asked to you know to write a column about that and projecting on all those and how they would do. I said that TCU and um, uh, Texas would be first round exits. They both got past the first round. Uh, and, uh, and then TCU played very well, uh, a- against Arizona. Okay. And of course, everybody says that they got ripped off on that. And, and yes, I did look like a foul, but it's just always funny to me forever. We've known that the officials will not blow the whistle as much in the tournament as they do in the regular season. And that's the way everybody has always said they like it, right? Everybody right. always says on the last play, let 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 them play on that last play. And then when they and then when they let them play, everybody says, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe they didn't blow." Uh, well, on that. not everybody. I mean, Arizona fans think that clearly you know, it was great def- defense. Um, they just don't want to talk about the layup that should have been made before the buzzer went off. Uh, but yeah, no kidding. I, you know, I, the, the one thing I would say to me, it looked like a foul. Um, but all your arguments said, Kevin, all agreed with everything you just said. At the same time, you know, TCU plays in what might be the most physically defensive league in in all of college basketball, and so uh, that kind of play should be what they what they're looking for in those situations. Um, yeah, I, I think. And we were, I was at a restaurant with noted Horn Frog backer, uh, John Blake, um, watching the game. And I didn't notice uh, if PCU had a timeout, but people told me that, that they had one timeout left. And I'm, I'm wondering why they didn't call a timeout once they got the ball caught across the half court line um, in that situation and, and maybe tried to set something up for the last eight seconds. Well, you know how that is. Sometimes you don't want the defense to set up either. So, uh, you know. And, and we saw that the – I think we saw that the day before. I forget what game it was that I was watching that somebody – I think it was the Baylor game maybe where they, you know – or it was North Carolina in that Baylor game in regulation I think had a had a shot at the end and it was a horrible design play. So, it's it, you know, you can you – can, when something doesn't happen, you can always find something to point at. But – well, I'll say this, you know, it's, it's such a funny thing to watch the evolution of basketball in this state and how much 
better the basketball is overall. But the one, the one, you know, key across the state and, and all the of the the schools that did well is that they they play such great defense. And and when, when could you ever say that? I mean, there was there was I never was thinking, a time. I was thinking about this the other day when I was at the when I was at the restaurant. It's like you can say this about the Big Twelve. It's the best defensive conference in college basketball, and it's the worst defensive conference in college football. It's it's like completely and diametrically opposite in the two sports, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, really football is. is starting to come around a little bit, but uh, but you're right. It, it, for, certainly from a reputational standpoint, and and you're also right from the standpoint that this is what uh, college basketball has become. You know, if you're if you're picking a team to be uh, uh, a, uh, a Cinderella, it's easy to say who that's going to be. I, I saw some team, you know, talking about, oh, this team can really score, so maybe they can win a few games. If you can't play defense in the tournament, you're going nowhere. You know, and if you play really good defense, then you got a shot. And so, back to your point about Texas Tech, I, I do think that they uh, have a shot, but because they do play such good defense and because, you know, Mark Adams is doing such a great job, you know, coaching that team up and, and he has such a great, you know, calming kind of demeanor, uh, which, you know, like I loved when he was being interviewed before halftime and he went in, you know, and you know, which was like that first half might have been the worst offensive half in basketball history. Uh, and he said, well, they're doing some things and we're going to make some adjustments here at halftime. And, you, and, and the way he said it was like, yeah, come on, we're, we're, we're going to be just fine. And he said at the end of the game, well, uh, I don't know how we won it, but we won it. So uh, <laughs> it, 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 his demeanor is great. It's just it, it's it's great for college basketball, I think. It's, it, 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 it makes me – it gives me a good feeling. Well, Again, I'm hoping you're that- – Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Evan, you were talking about the defense they play, you know, in the state, in the conference. The Mavericks – we're starting to see that from them too, right? And and yeah. the Minnesota game last night, the way they won that with their defensive rotations at the end. Um, you know, Luka Doncic scores, what, 17 points? And they win. Uh, they have six guys in, in double figures. I think the first time they've done that since the last time they did that, Brad Davis was one of the <laughs> six players who, who had 15 points or more. So they're really playing – their defensive rotations and playing as a team, you're seeing it come through a little bit offensively as well. But but in the fourth quarter of all of these games, uh, especially over these last couple of months, uh, three months actually, uh, you're just seeing them, their rotations. And, and, you know, Minnesota's coach after the game was talking about what a great defensive team they are, how they – because you can tell they really sink their teeth into playing defense because it's not about one or two guys and it's, hey, get this guy and just shadow them. Uh, the rotations and and just they're all in sync what they're doing defensively and and you know that last Mavericks championship team was a, a very good defensive team but they had some outstanding individual defensive performers I don't know that you really have that on this team but as far as being in sync uh, and, and help defense uh, this may be about as good as this franchise has been. I, I would say Dorian Finney-Smith is really good defensively. I mean, he, he, can, he can guard anybody. He's in, in running for Defensive Player of the Year. But you're right. It, I, I think it is, too. And, it, and that's just a phenomenal thing to see that metamorphosis from what they were and what they always were, which was a jump-shooting team. That's that's That was their reputation for 20 years and maybe longer than that. Uh, and and it, with the, you know, the, the 2011 was the, you know, the caveat in that whole, in that case. But – uh, it, it is interesting to watch this happen in basketball, and, and it makes you wonder a little bit, 
as you've seen players too in, in college basketball and pro basketball as well, players are bigger, stronger. They're, uh, you know, they're more physical and it, and it makes that, you know, you go back and watch games from the seventies and the eighties and you see these skinny guys running around and they're all, you know, nobody's playing any defense and everybody's just jacking up shots and doing what they want to do. And the game is completely changed now. And I, and I wonder about the, you know, as the, as the, as college teams have uh, success doing this, as teams like the Mavericks have success doing this and, and others obviously as well, uh, what will this mean for basketball? I mean, will we start seeing game, will we start seeing scores coming down a little bit and will some of these superstars, you know, on teams when you're loading up on superstars, how many of those guys are going to be playing great defense? Yeah, it's really built over the course of the season and and the playoffs and and the grind that puts on you. Uh, the, I mean, the the transcendent offensive players still always make a difference, and and there's not a lot you can do with them defensively. Um, but you know, you lower their percentage and you make them you make them work harder and then the other easier shots aren't there for the, the guys around them. And, and that's the other thing you're seeing for the Mavericks offensively now, just with Dinwiddie in here and the ability to break down the off the defense on the opposite side from where Luca is just does worlds of good for their spacing. And, and they're still taking the threes, but these guys are getting open threes much more so than they were before. And uh, you're seeing defenses collapse on, Luca at the end of games like they always have and like they'll continue to do. But what's the difference? Dinwiddie's hitting shots or Dinwiddie's in a position to make a play and break down the defense and get the ball to someone who's open. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this works out. There's the, as we uh, tape this now, the Mavericks are still a game behind Utah uh, for fourth place, uh, fourth seed. Uh, that would really be good if they can move up that one spot and have that, that home court advantage. Uh, that would uh, make me feel better about projecting them to, to get out of the first round. Um, we'll, we'll see what the, they can do. Uh, but certainly uh, I would think that across the board, you have to feel better about their chances uh, going into the playoffs this year than we did last year. And uh, I, um, you know, still eating crow over the whole Spencer Dinwiddie trade uh, for Przingis to begin with and how well he has played. Davies Portanz has, has kind of cooled off and not been much of a factor. But uh, right now, just straight up uh, Dinwiddie for Przingis is looking pretty good. So You do uh, feel better about their chances. But again, we're still talking that 4-5 spot, right, which is always yeah. the most problematic of any postseason matchup. Uh, for this team to really – where you feel good about them being able to advance after all these years of not, they need to get up to three. I just want to say something. It makes me feel good that Kevin feels good. Um, as I have to sign off here to go talk to the Rangers manager, I just, it, it, I, I leave with a warm feeling in my heart that Kevin feels better. Um, that's, that, that's really kind of the takeaway for me today. That's not really my, I, I just got my results back from my, my stress test was not good. So I oh, don't, boy. yeah, so I'm not feeling good actually. Uh, so I just want oh, you to no. know that I probably oh, won't God. even make it to the end of this podcast, but anyway, well, that, we'll that's why he has a monitor over his shoulder, Evan. Neglect <laughs> <laughs> of that. My, my nurse is like here, like two feet away from me. Oh, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, have a good time, Evan, uh, out there in surprise. You know, and, and, you know, of course, you know that next week I'm coming out there to relieve you so you can go off on another boondoggle. Will but, you be uh, able to do that? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see.
We'll see what happens. All right. Bye, Evan. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yeah, there goes Evan Grant. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast today. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, We'll be back next week with more talk from spring training, and we'll have a little more information about the NCAA tournament, and and who knows, maybe even the Cowboys are going to do something and uh, sign somebody. We'll see you.